BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. are listening to a pre-lockdown edition of the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Hyde Valiant, and I am with Mark Dreyer, who is the author of Sporting Superpower, an insider's view on China's quest to be the best. Mark, how was your panic buying experience this week? Well, you say pre-lockdown. I'm hoping next week and all the subsequent weeks will also be pre-lockdown. Right now in Beijing, it's a bit odd. I think is probably the best way to describe it. We're kind of, we've been looking at Shanghai for the last month, month and a half. Um, and there's been some pretty horrific, you know, videos and, 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 and recordings and pictures circul- circulating. And I think people are sort of bracing for, if not something similar. Well, I mean, even if it's, even if, you know, without the, without the really extreme stuff, no one really wants to be locked in at all. There's a lot of a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors. No one really knows what's going on. We're we're right now in uh, in Beijing. We've had three rounds. We're having three rounds this week of mass testing. So everyone has to be tested three times. And so the first day was Monday. Yes. Now I wasn't feeling great on Monday. I'll be honest. Uh, I had a little bit of a cold. Nothing major at all. On Sunday, I had a bit of a sore throat, bit of a bit of a runny nose. And of course, in this environment, you're thinking, uh oh, uh oh, you know. And they've just announced on Sunday mass testing, so you're thinking, well, I got COVID, right? But I know that I'm basically I'm not really sick. I've just got a bit of a sniffle. And I'm thinking, well, I know that also in a day or two, even if I do have COVID, I'm going to be absolutely fine. And I don't want to test positive. And then be absolutely fine and then be basically locked up in one of these detention centers, which by all accounts is not a place you want to be. Whether you, you're... So you don't want to be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so, so I just want to be clear. Okay, yeah. Good. Okay. Um, it seems pretty clear that that is not a place you want to be. No. Um, and so I was thinking, well, I don't really want to get tested. So I actually delayed my Monday test until Tuesday. Uh-huh. And, I, and I felt you know, much, much better. Right. And I was fine basically on Monday. Yeah. But this is the environment that kind of we're in. I'm sure for a fact that there's thousands of people out of the millions of people in Beijing who haven't been tested because there's no real way to make you get tested. The only way really is say, you know, your building won't let you in unless you have a test or if you you have a very, you know, if you have a very zealous building association or something like that, that's checking up on you all the time. And this will take a bit of time to catch up because- All on our, our phones will have this health code that we scan, and, and sometimes your health kit will have a pop-up or have an error message. But it takes a little bit of time to kind of, you know, catch up in the system. 
I know someone who 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 didn't get tested, and you know they they don't have that message. But it does feel you know um, we're kind of bracing for the inevitable. I think at some point. Yeah, I mean, I was pessimistic last week, really pessimistic over the weekend when there was sort of, you know, I, I say an explosion of cases, but, you know, that's it was like 20 cases or something like that, which yeah. is, you know, anywhere else in the world, that's just a minuscule number. And I thought for sure this week uh, there'd be, you know, we, we would definitely get into something uh, a little bit more serious. Luckily, that hasn't happened yet. And now you went viral this week on Twitter. Uh, with a photo that you that you tweeted out from with empty shelves and the- so Sunday Sunday we all got uh, notified that we we're going to have to do in in the central district of Chaoyang where we are right now yeah. uh, we all had to do three rounds of mass testing Monday Wednesday Friday of this week uh, we're we're recording this on on Wednesday and a colleague had, had immediately headed out with her dad to the supermarket and sent some photos and was like okay it's absolutely packed like yeah. eight forty five on a Sunday night. Um, she said it was rammed, you know, and there was food there, but it was flying off the shelves. And I tweeted out a couple of those pictures, which was still getting some pickup like a day and a half later. Now, in fairness, um, it seemed that the replenishing of the shelves was remarkably good. Absolutely. I was at the store yesterday at Jenny Liu's, which, yeah. is, a, which is a supermarket chain here in Beijing. Full shelves. People have had a lot, of, a lot more time to prepare for this just yeah. because we've been watching what's going on for Shanghai. So even before the testing was announced and... If and when they announce a lockdown, there will be a little bit of time. They're not going to say as of now, um, at least they haven't done previously. They'll give you a, a few hours to kind of go out and do one last shop, which which really will be, you know, panic buying. But yeah, so far it's been it's been a lot smoother. And I think because of the lessons, the mess that, that, that people have seen in Shanghai, yeah. authorities here are even more worried about it and, and it being beijing the political the central capital like they're already at that level already a lot tighter uh, but they're even more worried um a, a, about not making a mess here so as you can tell it's kind of hard to think about anything other than the lockdowns and covid but this is the china sports insider <laughs> podcast <laughs> we're dropping the sports for this week <laughs> just the china <laughs> insider podcast a little bit, exactly <laughs> Today, we're going to check in on Cameron Wilson. Uh, you might remember that we talked to him a month ago when he had just entered lockdown at home in Shanghai. Well, he is still in lockdown in Shanghai. So we wanted to reach out and see how he's doing and uh, talk a little bit about football as well. Yeah, just fair warning there. Uh, Cammy's, I think, temper is uh, somewhat frayed. Listen, 40 days in lockdown, you know, I, I, oh, I can fully understand. Totally yeah. understandable. But let, first, let's talk about a possible postponement of the Asian game. Uh, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about a piece I wrote in SubChina as well. Mark, one of your year end predictions for 2022 was that the Olympics would be the only major sporting event that China would host this year. Now, for a while, it looked like you were wrong, but now. I think you might be right. Never doubt me, Hike. Never doubt I me. I don't. I don't. I don't. It's a, it's a, it's a hard-learned lesson. <laughs> so the Asian Games is uh, September in the city of Hangzhou, which has seen uh, a number of sort of semi-permanent lockdowns over the last few months, in fact. It had some cases a while ago around Chinese New Year. There was some, there was some temporary lockdowns as well. So it's kind of been on and off. It does look increasingly like it's it's going to just not be in a, in a position to host it. But it's still too early to say, for sure. Uh, I think uh, almost as soon as I made that prediction, I thought, oh, well, actually, things are, are going pretty well. And uh, I, I could be wrong, but it's coming back around full circle. Yeah. So 
It's a very important year for China politically. Uh, there's a big Congress where uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping is is expected to get yet more power towards the end of this year, around the same time, actually, as uh, um, as, as the Asian Games. Um, and so they don't want anything to derail that. Um, but being able to host, you know, a big international tournament, it's the Asian Games, it's kind of second only to the Olympics in, t- in this part of the world, at least in terms of a multi-sport event. Uh, they definitely want to be able to say that they can host a safe games. But then at that point, if we're going into another of these Olympic-related bubbles where it's very restricted, no fans, um, the atmosphere is frankly completely absent, like you start to wonder what's the point. The only point really is to say we have ticked this box of being able to host the event. But like it's not enjoyable. No one's able to go. Like the Olympics, you know, the more I reflect on on the Winter Olympics, the the more... I guess sadness I have just because the people weren't able to enjoy it, you know, and and the 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 athletes themselves weren't able to to celebrate in front of a crowd. I mean, there was no hangover because there was no party. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. What is the scale of the Asian Games? You mentioned it's sort of like Olympic like. Is it is it as many athletes? How many who's like how many people come here? It's not know? quite as big, but it, it is a massive event. Um, there's some quite different sports as well, and some Asian focused sports as well, particularly when it comes to. Uh, Sort of the martial arts. I think yeah. the big one that's been getting uh, a lot of attention is actually esports will be a medal event for the first time. Yeah. It's been a demonstration event in the past. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the the people who say that esports is coming for the Olympics, well, it's coming into the Asian Games and it's, it's a big deal. We've talked about uh, esports here on the, on the, on the podcast before. Um, so that would be kind of an interesting one. Do you know what else is having its debut at uh, Hangzhou? Which one? Breakdancing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, I just I just don't want to miss that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're trying to make a late uh, run. Well, I heard that China is uh, going to be recruiting. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, you can uh, you can duck into. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Make a late bid for Team China. So, hi, one other thing to talk about this week. And this is a great piece that you wrote on SupChina on the website, which everyone should check out about cycling here. And, and actually going back, like it's been one of the, um, you know, if we look at, the sport, the growth of sports in China. We've kind of had three main waves. There was there was the the soccer boom and and now bust uh, to a certain extent. Uh, winter sports growth building up to the Olympics, and then what people refer to as mass participation, mm. which includes you know running, marathon, fitness, but cycling is a big part of that. Right. Um, tell us about the article. Yeah, it's about Shannon Bufton, who is the founder, uh, the co-founder of a company here called Cirque, and he is somebody who since 2009, really, has been pioneering these routes along in Beijing's mountains. Cycling routes and like, for, for, for amateur riders? For, 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 yeah, kind of for, well, for amateur riders. I mean, he has, he was a former, he is a former competitive rider himself. And he, you know, I didn't get into this in the piece, but uh, he did work on something called the Tour of Beijing back in 2000. Uh, I want to say 13, 14. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big uh, UCI, big international That's event right. here. Yeah. Um, it was it was pretty big for a while, um, and then it kind of just faded out. I think there there was I remember there was one Chinese rider I think in history to date who's mm. ridden in the Tour de France, and he was um, not near the front of the uh, right <laughs> not near the front of the peloton. But yeah, hey, yeah. someone's got to kind of pioneer. I know about Shannon vaguely through through a, a friend of mine, a guy called Mike, who's now back in the, back in the states. And he did this thing called Everesting. Now, what this is, is basically you have to climb on a road uh, the height of Mount Everest from sea level to to the top, to the summit. So it's, you know, 8,000 plus meters. Now, what you need to do is you take a stretch of road and you ride up it 
and then you you take the height and then at whatever that is you just you cycle back down you get to the bottom you, you go as many times as it takes until you've climbed 8000 meters it takes for for very very good amateur riders about 24 hours and mike and another friend of of his did it on the on the outskirts of beijing they found a found a route in the hills but basically with all the support of of shannon and his team you know, it was it was insane. It was like a WeChat group oh following uh, following their progress. Well, that's the thing though. You can do that in Beijing. Yeah. I mean, there are these amazing mountains that go up to two thousand meters. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people outside of China really know about this. So, yeah. and and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this piece. Yeah. So, I uh, speaking of the piece, there's a little bit of controversy, mm. uh, as I understand it, between yeah. you know the Shannon who's sort of been pioneering, but uh, perhaps not uh, by himself. Uh, what's going on there? Well. So Shannon, Shannon and Cirque uh, pioneered these routes that have sort of become the classics in Beijing. There's one called the Beijing Stelvio, which is over in uh, Fangshan, which is a couple of hours west of the city center. Uh, and it's gorgeous. It's an amazing, amazing route. Now, I spoke with somebody, who's, with somebody called Harry Lee. Uh, Shannon introduced me to him and said that he is the voice of Chinese racing. He's a longtime writer, uh, TV commentator. And he sort of downplayed Shannon's role in pioneering these routes. He said that what Shannon really did was translate a lot of these routes to a Western, you know, Westerners, foreigners who are here, and that these routes were already mature by the time Shannon got here. So I went back to Shannon and I said, well, Shannon, this is really surprising. He's like, yeah, it's surprising. It's surprising to me too. Drama in the cycling It was a little bit of, it was a little bit of drama (laughs) because I did, you know what, my goal, I, I kind of just wanted to write a piece about Beijing cycling and, you know, this this amazing secret that nobody knows about and, and this really cool stuff that, that Cirque is doing, you know, in terms of the environment, in terms of the, the work that they're doing with a um, racing team called Masaka Racing. It's, it's, it's really, really cool. I couldn't get to any of that space because I, I really had to right, explore right, right. This, this sort of debate, uh, which was really interesting, um, I thought. So this is... A little bit of a thing in the cycling community here. I mean, like from from my perspective, it's like, well, you know, the roads are the roads. Do we really care who first rode them or not? You know, the fact that that cycling is growing here should be the main point, right? I asked Shannon, like, why does this matter? Like, why does it matter to him who who pioneered the roads? And he, you know, his answer was, look, people put a lot of effort into this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he, the way he looks at cycling is it's a way for people to to have independence and he wants to push people to 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 do everything that they can but also i mean i thought this was interesting was that he says that the roads in beijing have become crowded and he's looking at new frontiers right. which is gravel cycling right. which is you know sort of going even further out of beijing into hebei province hebei is the is the province that that surrounds beijing and he said well Harry Lee is probably doing the same thing, and that's one of his motivations. Okay. Uh, he, wow. There was a suggestion that he had. The, the conflict continues. It was a bit of a conflict. Wow. Exactly. It was a bit of a conflict. Now, I don't think either, like, I mean, I think both are sincere in, in, in their, you know, for sure in their love of cycling. Yeah, so I, you know, it's it's something to watch out for. I think in the in the coming years, especially if you care about cycling, which I do, I've become so so ingr- like uh, invested in this topic. Um, and I mean, I know I know Shannon has taken some awesome trips uh, in other parts of the country, down oh, in Tibet as well. Seen so some of the, uh, the so pictures wanna, from there. Yeah, I've, I know a lot of people who have done the multi day Cirque trips. I haven't been able to so far, and you know, this summer it's I don't think it's going to happen in China, but let's see. 
Well, hi, that was enough about sports. Let's get back down to the to, uh, to the topic of lockdowns, which yeah, is uh, front and center for us. And uh, let's check in again with Cameron Wilson, who is, uh, well, he's been in for well over a month lockdown in Shanghai, and we spoke to him a bit earlier. Hey, Cameron. Uh, hello. How are you? <laughs> okay, so people can't see this, but there's a there's a. I'm going to show you something even worse. This is a bottle of. HB sauce, which is so finished, I had to pour vinegar in it to get the last drops out. So this is a oh crisis mode is in full swing now. That's how bad it is. Wow. And then on the other hand, is it looks like a very cold beer. It is a cold beer. Um, I've, this is a, my okay. second last one. Um, I might be able to get some more, but um, I'm going to savor it whilst I can. Tragedy. Tragedy. So so just, just to give our audience a little bit of context here, we... On March 31, Cameron, we spoke to you, and at, by that point, you know, you're in Shanghai, and at, by that point, you'd been in lockdown for, you know, a few weeks by that point, I believe. I cannot believe you're still in lockdown. Uh, today, is, today is actually the 40th day. Um, I tweeted the 40th day yesterday, but, I mean, it's been so long, I just totally lost track, but I actually looked at the calendar, and today is the 40th day, so... I want to say uh, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule to uh, to squeeze us in. Tell us what a daily schedule looks like. What's a daily schedule? <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I try to make a schedule. I try to go out in the morning and use the exercise machines in our compound, but uh, because we're not supposed to go outside at all. Uh, but in the morning, there's no one around, so it seems to be okay. But even now, I don't, I don't do it every day. Just depends on what mood I'm in. This week, I'm actually, I'm actually have annual leave from a company, so I've had to use it before the end of May, at the start of May. So, unfortunately, this isn't what I had in mind for my uh, my leave period. But um, there we go. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. I was I was just telling my wife like it just seems like our world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, last year we could, we could move around. You know, I went to, I was in Shanghai for a little bit and then over the summer we were in Guilin. But I mean, at this point, I mean, we can't, I, we can't leave Beijing at this point because for fear of, you know, not being able to come out. And of course you're not even able to leave your home. Yeah. I'm not only can I not leave my apartment, but I'm kind of scared to leave my, my little man cave here. Cause as soon as I do, I'll be accosted by my daughter or my mother-in-law. My wife wanted me to do this or that, so <laughs> this is like my little uh, sanctuary in here. <clears throat> so, Cammy, we've been sort of messaging and, and had a few other chats off air. Give us a sense of what it's been like, like, you know, the highs and the lows, if there have been any highs. But, you know, what, what's it been like 40 days on? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, to be really honest, it's uh, there, there are some positives. I mean, got to know our neighbours pretty well. There's been some good... Instances of people helping each other out. Uh, we've been helping, my wife's been helping people who are literally sealed inside their apartment. I mean that literally. Uh, get hold of food. Like what you can do is you can order it and then you can uh, give it to the, the health workers outside these apartments and they'll unlock the steel fences and, and take supplies up to them. That's been nice. Why are they sealed and you're not? Because they, their buildings have people who are confirmed positive. So, I mean, to be honest, when I, when I saw that, I mean, it's just, it just flipped a switch in my head. I was just like, I mean, come on. I mean, 
How, what kind of place? You're talking about the green fences. The green You're talking fences. about the green fences that have gone up. I mean, I can see one right now out my window. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, how how can you? I don't I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, we're quarantined and we're trying to cut down transmission of COVID, but I really don't think that's necessary. It's also illegal according to Chinese law, and it's it's just totally morally repugnant and it disgusts me. How how are you for food right now? Like, what, how how are your stocks at home? Uh, food stocks have actually got better because they brought in a, like a whole army of uh, D drivers from like delivery drivers from outside of uh, Shanghai. Uh, but these guys have been called way. Uh, it basically means death squad. Basically, they're joking that they are on like a suicide mission because they know they're going to test positive sooner rather than later. But they're happy to go to Shanghai and earn as much money as they can because these guys, obviously, in normal, normal times, don't earn a lot of cash. So, Cammy, there seems to be like the... Uh... The number of ways in which China has been counting these cases over the last, well, however long, it seems to change uh, <laughs> several times. But the latest thing is cases in society versus outside of society. Can you explain what's going on? What does this mean? What's the goal here in terms of like getting down to zero cases within society, if I'm getting this right? As I understand it, they, I mean, they keep redefining the figures. So... The latest thing, cases in society, means cases among people who are not under lockdown, <clears throat> which you're probably wondering how many people that is. Well, I don't know, but there are people who are able to get out because they perform essential work. Uh, delivery drivers, police, emergency workers, healthcare, people who work with utilities, electricity, gas, and so on. Um, I'm guessing that's what it means, because I don't know anybody in Shanghai who is able to get out, except one of my neighbours, who I know he works for the government. That's what that figure means, as I understand. And meanwhile, amongst lockdown, people are still testing positive, even though they're having very, very limited contact with anyone else, apart from when you people are summoned outside for testing, right? So so how's how's that transmission happening? Through the delivery workers? It seems to be. I mean, to be quite honest, it's getting a little bit Lord of the Flies in our compound, because there's Four buildings have had positive cases in the last three or four days. Um, and we've been under lockdown. At that point, we, we've been under lockdown for 35 days. So not only that, it's also been spreading from apartment to apartment in different buildings. So you can imagine the kind of fear which is spreading amongst people. And there's lots of arguments in WeChat groups. Um, people who are saying, oh, you should, uh, you should just basically evacuate the building. Or there was one person who tested positive but then they tested negative and they refused to go and then the neighbours were basically ganging up on the neighbourhood committee saying we want this person to be taken out of the apartment as soon as possible. The infection spreading through the pipes and it's a really pretty bad situation. And I've also heard of cases where you know neighbours are actually saying well we don't want this person to go we're happy for this person to stay in our community. doesn't sound like uh, that is an argument that the authorities <laughs> tend to listen to. No, I mean, they don't listen to any reason. Um, I mean, I, I said in my WeChat group, in my compound, as I said, I support anybody who wants to do quarantine at home. Uh, and I got a few kind of plus ones, but there was also some kind of really indignant people who were just like, well, this is going to spread and there's old people who are not vaccinated. 
So I'm like, well, see, so we knew this was going to happen. This was inevitable. This was completely predictable for years. So why are we not? Why are we not vaccinated? Why is it? I look at my I look at my window. They've got the amount of resources they've spent on things like sealing people into the buildings, spraying bleach in the air everywhere, uh, locking down the entire entire apartment, the entire compound, uh, bringing in an army of uh, delivery drivers from outside Shanghai, like killing people's pets, separating parents from kids, they do all this stuff, and they don't vaccinate people. There's no there's no program right now to vaccinate people on an emergency basis. That's the only way to get out of this. It's to vaccinate people who haven't been vaccinated yet as quickly as possible. But they're not doing it. I mean, it's absurd. It's absurd that there needs to be more people out there who are questioning why this is not happening. Because I can't think of any reason right now why somehow it's okay to spend a ridiculous amount of resources. Like, they're, 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 they're putting bleach on the bund. No one's been on the bund for like a month. And this is what they're doing and putting it in, in their English language media. It's just totally ridiculous. And after all this time, I try to be rational and try to uh, try to keep a, a somewhat objective look at things. But you just look at this and you just look at what's going on and you look at the obvious solution, which is vaccinate all the people who have not been vaccinated yet and who need it. And it's not happening. And you really need to ask why. Cameron, one of the things that, one of the topics that people really talk about on Twitter is all the people, all the foreigners uh, in Shanghai, especially, but also outside of Shanghai, who are, you know, sort of this push is pushing them to really consider their future in this country, in China. Are you, I mean, have, I mean, this is, I know this is kind of a personal question um, and, and you don't have to, obviously you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but is, is that, is that a conversation that you're having? Yes. Uh, I had this conversation with my wife. I mean, for, to be really honest, uh, I mean, I'm extremely emotionally invested in China. And I think a lot of my, um, a lot, I just got some some nice chicken uh, bones, uh, chicken drumsticks for my wife. Um, a lot delightful. of my looks, looks delightful. <laughs> yeah, this is she's probably giving me this to kind of control my mood, so I don't kind of flip out and what I say. <laughs> <laughs> she heard your rants yeah. just then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giving a dog a bone to stop him from biting you. Um, (laughs) I would say that as far as uh, my life goes in China, I've, my happiness in China, why I've been here a long time is based on that. I've, I've invested a lot emotionally in the place, Uh, got to know the people, I've now a Chinese family, wife, daughter, parents-in-law. Also, I'm well known through my work writing about Chinese football and also my kind of attachment to Shanghai Shenhua, the team. And all the friends, the community have become involved in through that. So for me, my roots here are really deep. Uh, and it's been 16 years. On a social level, I think China is still an amazing place. And uh, the people are amazing. There's so many interesting ways of looking at things. Uh, things you learn, perspectives. Things which are different to where you come from. And it's so, so viable and it's so it's such a amazing learning experience so i've got like as much reason to stay as anybody but at this point i'm just like what, you know, what the hell we, we can be living in a this is supposed to be an international city which puts itself up there with paris tokyo new york london all that and you're killing dogs on the street you're locking people up because they've got a cough you're sealing people in their houses you know it just pulls the veil off 
it pulls the veneer off what what Shanghai in China really is, and it's just not it's just not pretty. It's it's dark. To cut long story short, yeah, I hope to leave within I don't know, I guess eighteen months, something like that. So, coming on the plus side, um, when you were tweeting about Chinese football, um, no one was really paying much attention. But I think in the last month or so, your Twitter followers have, du- have doubled. Yeah, so, pretty much. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't pay attention to the number. Of, I don't actually know. And it was just, I actually thought I had like fifteen hundred followers, but then when I checked, it was something like just under three thousand. Because I noticed I started getting more followers, and now it's like over five. So. Yeah, they're going to be pretty disappointed when I go back to ranting about. <laughs> can we? Can I? I mean, I don't, we can Seam, still take a seamless segue into football. Well, I was going to say, like, there, there, there are a couple of football stories that I, I, I wanted to ask you, but I'm not even sure if you're paying attention to any any uh, football news right now. So, for example, I saw Fellaini. Marwan Fellaini is is back. <laughs> Do you even want to talk about this? We don't have to. No, sure. Yeah, I mean. Uh, it's like distracting me with football now instead of chicken bones. Well, I mean, I yes, no, I saw, I saw that he was back and he's he's back for the season, which which I you know I'm I mean I guess that that's that's something. It sounds like the uh, the the CSL is going to actually start um, very soon <laughs> with with actual players. Well, I was uh, yeah, I mean, I was pretty surprised to see Fellaini returning, um, although he tested positive for COVID a long time ago at the start of August, so maybe he's been there and seen it and done it and just wants to get back to China and earn money. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it definitely flies in the face of the current trend of less uh, foreign players coming. I mean, he must have been taking quite a pay cut to still be here. Um, if you look at what's happening with other teams, uh, that's definitely going to be a wider trend. If you see any big players still in China, you can be sure they're not earning anywhere near as much money as they did before. Um, the other story I saw, which was interesting, was they've confirmed that the CSL will be 18 teams. Uh, it be three up, three down. So that's interesting as well. It kind of goes against the grain. The CSL is expanding when there's actually less teams who are, have the wherewithal to play at that level. But nevertheless, um, it is what it is. Now, Cammy, how much do we know about this upcoming season? Um, initially, they would have tried to play in the bubble system as they did before, and Hangzhou was there, but that's been kind of under semi or permanent lockdown, so they've been looking for alternative places. I saw um, a post that, that a city called Rejiao in Shandong, apparently three million people. I'd never even heard of this place. That sort of speaks to the size of China. Uh, and someone was saying, well, this, they have a football-specific stadium, 34,000. I was thinking, well... To be honest, it doesn't really matter how many seats are in the stadium because there won't be any fans. Yeah, I've I've actually been to Urzhou. I've been there one time to a music festival, so I know how small it is, and I was I was quite puzzled to see they built a football specific stadium there. That was that was surprising. But then, even in Shanghai, there's a used to be Shanghai Shenzhen, who went bust a few years ago. They had a football specific stadium, and it was down in Jinshan, which is about 50 kilometers from uh, downtown Shanghai. So you get these stadiums just popping up everywhere and it really looks like there's not an awful lot of thought goes into who's actually going to sit in these stadiums. I think the point is that for the upcoming season, unfortunately, because of all the disruption, the question of, not so much the question of who wins, but the question of who goes down at the other end is increasingly being settled by off-pitch matters. That basically means that teams will be 
saved because other clubs go bust and end up not getting relegated or not getting promoted. So from a competition point of view, the movement of teams between the Channel League One and the CSL is uh, going to be, I'm afraid, is going to remain fairly meaningless for this season and maybe the next few as well. Now, I saw um, a post the other day that in Singapore, they're going to have a um, Premier League preseason game in July, July 15th, uh, between Liverpool and Crystal Palace. Now, you know, these preseason tours are uh, not that at most about kind of fitness on the football front uh, and about kind of other other reasons, as, as we know. But it just occurred to me with with China giving up the rights to host the uh, the East Asian football tournament and, you know, like the chances of foreign teams whether it's Premier League or, or Bundesliga or, or whatever, coming to China, I mean, for sure this year is completely out. But it, it feels like we're light years behind places like Singapore and, and well, increasingly almost everywhere else. Like, 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 when can you see international sporting events coming back to China? And is next year's Asian Championship in doubt? Uh, they should take the Asian Championship away right now. If you don't, if you as a country, if you're not able to let international fans easily attend an international sports event, then you shouldn't be hosting it. That's just, for me, that's really clear. Um, it's a really a, thought, a pity because China's more than capable of hosting it, and they've done it before, I think 2004. I think these things do help, you know, bring a long interest in football in general, but you shouldn't be hosting it if, if, um, if you're not going to have a proper open border. And uh, it's not going to, the border's not going to open before the Asian Cup next year. At least not properly. Okay, so it's it's going to be June next year. So we're looking at the Asian Cup scheduled for June next year. A lot needs to happen. I, I mean, just I mean, Cammy, to, to your point about taking it away, like like when when do you have to make that? It's too early to make that call. It is, it is like I'm gonna. I, I see what you're saying. There needs to be international fans allowing to travel here, but like. At what point does China need to open up to say, like, well, we can not just safely host it, but, you know, do something other than a, an, another bubble tournament? Well, there needs to be commitment to open the border properly. There can't be any kind of wishy-washy, funny games played like, oh, yeah, we're going to make it easier for people to get a code or whatever. Just open the border. You know, if you can't do that, then just don't host it. I mean, no, one, no one will blame China if they say, look, we don't want to host this tournament until such times as we've opened our border. That would be fair enough. I mean, I, I don't know. They need to make a decision by the end of the year. Yeah, and not to mention, like, we, we, we remember the stress that all the athletes who are coming to to Beijing for yeah. the Olympics were going through, right? And, you know, in the weeks prior to the Games and, you know, thinking, okay, well, if we get COVID, we can't compete. Or if we come in, like, we'll be put into isolation. We can't compete. I mean, luckily, at the Beijing Olympics, it didn't really have an impact on the competition, Cammy, I got to ask you one thing before we let you go and and get back to your incredibly busy schedule of uh, chicken wings and beer drinking. <laughs> uh, there was uh, you were telling me the other day about um, some some pot banging and and uh, you know some singing songs in the compound and I, and I was just wondering if you could expand on this a little bit. We've we got a little bit of uh, Scottish football culture creeping into uh, Pudong District in Shanghai. What what's been going on there with uh, with the chanting out of your window? They got a they got a rendition in the, the Scottish vernacular when uh, I just kind of lost it to be really honest after the twentieth test I just stuck my head out the window basically roared in Chinese I was like you know what the hell are you doing how many times do we need to get tested this is ridiculous I've been tested negative more than twenty times in the last month why are you wasting our time why are you bringing this down 
when when you're like uh, when you're kind of angry, you kind of lapse back into your kind of native way of expression. So, but of course, I'm the only foreigner in this whole compound, so I was trying to kind of mentally translate that into Chinese. It probably sounded like ridiculously stupid. <laughs> much to my much to my amazement, loads of neighbours opened their windows and stuck their heads out and joined in, and basically they were shouting their heads off at the, kind of the health workers. My mother-in-law came in. She looked absolutely horrified. She's like, "Can't you stop it? You're causing a scene." I said, "Hey, look, it's been thirty-five days. Come on, goes, everybody's got a limit. Please have some. You should at least appreciate the fact that I've not done anything remotely like this for so long." And I think you know, when I, I went outside, I went outside, and I actually apologised for to my neighbours. But did, did you get outed? Did you get outed as the foreigner in a WeChat group? What happened there? No, uh, people were saying what happened in Building 15. And I said there was some crazed yelling <laughs> from there. But the thing is, there was some, someone, someone had recorded it, but they but they couldn't, they, they weren't able to, because of the, their, their apartment, they couldn't see who it was. So actually, I managed to get away with it. It was only people in my building who realised it. My mother-in-law now uh, briefs my wife to tell me in advance that a COVID test is coming to please mentally prepare myself for that. What is the outlook? Like, have there, like what are people saying, uh, the, the expectation for letting you guys out? I mean, there are, you know, apparently people who are in society, but like, as you said, most people aren't aware of these people. Like, like when are you now expecting to get out? We, we had a positive test, a positive case a few days ago confirmed. So according to the rules which of course may change at any moment, uh, that means we would be locked down for another 14 days. So that means that means it would take us beyond 50 days. Uh, and I, to be honest, think it would be more than that for us. Um, but I mean, people have stopped talking about when they're going to get out. People have basically realised it's a futile discussion and are just trying to soldier on as if they can. Well, Cameron, I hate to leave it at... Such a negative, negative, negative uh, sentiment. But you know, thank you so much for 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 talking to us. And I really hope it's not that long. I hope you uh, you do um, get to enjoy the the outdoors very very soon. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm just gonna go back to telling dick and fart jokes around my apartment. That's all I've got right now. All right, <laughs> that's good. All right, all right. Thanks, thanks so much. Well, that's it for China Sports Insider Podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening, Mark. Next week is going to be, this next week is going to be really, really interesting. Hopefully, you're going to be here with me a week from today. Yeah, um, I hope so too. Where, where, in the meantime, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter is probably the easiest one. I am at Dreyer China, D-R-E-Y-E-R China. We will be back next week. <laughs>